0: Maybe. Welcome to episode two of Glum Club. Let's start off with a bit of housekeeping. promise I'll come up with a different name for that section. Damn, Sam Harrison is good ideas. So first things first, the podcast is finally on iTunes, which is super exciting. And I even had some swearing in the last episode and they still marked it clean, which I really appreciate. If you'd like to subscribe, you now can. And if you'd like to be really, really nice and win, I don't know, somewhere in the vicinity of a billion karma points. I think that's how karma works. You accrue points. You could leave a review on iTunes and that would help me get into the newer noteworthy section. Basically, I think I have eight weeks from when it's released, from when like the podcast is originally released, to get into that section and reviews help a lot. Listens help, but reviews help the most. And I'd really appreciate it if you have 30 seconds to a minute today to chuck that up that would be amazing. If you don't, I totally understand. Life is busy. Anyway, um, otherwise, if you're not an iTunes fan or not a podcast app fan, or if you don't have an iPhone, then, you know, hop on SoundCloud, also on there. Just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened to the podcast. There's been a really positive response, and obviously, I really appreciate it. Um, I've also received some constructive feedback, which I also very much appreciate. So if you have any thoughts, feelings, just things that you'd like to tell me, go ahead and shoot them through to glumclubpodcast at gmail.com. Or otherwise if you have my details, you can just message me. It's cool. Or next time I see you, just like yell at my face or something. It's cool. The other bit of housekeeping I have to say is that I have realized that my current setup is not ideal. Basically, I have, like, a fancy condenser, which has, like, a two-way function, and I thought it'd be really good for interviewing people, and it definitely is, but for the sake of a podcast, I don't think the sound quality is high enough. I really think I need to get a separate mic and maybe set up a studio space or start renting a studio space in Melbourne, so I thought I'd put the call out, if you know a studio space that's available in Melbourne that's relatively cheap – Or alternatively, if you know any businesses that would like to sponsor a podcast like this, please contact me, glumclubpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to repeat that a million times. Um, I am definitely saving up for those things and I'm going to be applying for grants like right about now, but I just thought I'd put the word out. If anyone has any contacts, like, please let me abuse those contacts. Anyway, on to this week's episode. So this week we have a very special guest. I have to not say that because obviously every week we'll have a very special guest, for fuck's sake. Okay, anyway, it's James Davies, one of my good friends. He's an exceptional drummer and just a really interesting human being in general. The great thing about this episode is that it's just one long chat. I didn't have to edit it much at all. Um, James edits himself, essentially, which is very handy for me because I barely had to do anything. He talks a lot about music, so this is This is probably going to be one of the more creative, heavy episodes, but it's really funny because James ties his creativity to his mental health very closely. My Sorry, my voice has just decided to die all of a sudden. After this episode, I started thinking about how the people that I've interviewed who are the most well-functioning, high-functioning, however you want to phrase it, members of society, the most sort of high-achieving, the people who seem like they have their shit together, they're the people who may have mental health issues, but their mental health issues are not a part of their identity as such, or at least their mental illness is not a part of their identity. They're people who treat their struggles as a symptom rather than an illness, if you understand what I'm getting at. So James is a really good example of this because he can come across as a very anxious person, but he's very cognizant of the factors that lead to him being anxious as opposed to him viewing himself as someone who suffers from anxiety, if you kind of understand what I'm getting at. It's something that's come to my attention and definitely something I'm going to be keeping track of in future episodes. So sit back and I hope you enjoy this really in-depth and revealing discussion with James Davies. And I guess uh, take a drink every time he uses an analogy. Anyway, here's James. (music) hello hello yeah hi (laughs) um so yeah as i mentioned before recording i wanted to have you on because like yeah on the surface have your shit together dig a little bit deeper do not have shit together
1: well it's as eminem said it say eloquently (laughs) On the surface, he seems calm and ready to drop bombs, but he keeps on forgetting the words that he wrote down.
0: What a reference.
1: Thanks, Marshall.
0: <laughs> Have you heard his new rap?
1: <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah. I've heard it's great, though. Um, yeah. it's He just rips on Trump, which people should do more of.
0: I guess so. I feel like mm. a lot of people rip on Trump.
1: Yeah. I was. It's becoming popular. <laughs> it's, a, it's a popular topic at the moment.
0: It is. Yeah. Okay. So... Tell me a bit about yourself, James. Like, if this were Tinder, what would you put on there?
1: Well, the funny thing about that is <laughs> I've never had Tinder because no, Tinder yeah. was around after um Sarah, my partner, and I got together, like, maybe a year or something. Yeah. So, like, I've never even been in the realm of Tinder. But what I think people would put on there is something along the lines of, like, I play drums, and I don't know. I enjoy nature. I don't know. What? <laughs> because they put like five pictures or something. There'd probably be a picture of me with drums. There would definitely of, be pictures. A picture a picture, a picture of me with a dog. Yeah. And then a oh. picture of me on a mountain somewhere. True. Like, true. That would that would probably be it. But um, yeah. yeah I am. I'm a musician more than a drummer. Uh, I'm a I'm a musician uh, who lives in Melbourne. Um, I moved here nearly six years ago, about like five and a half years ago, to study a degree. Yeah, a degree at Box Hill. Um, at the at the moment, I'm kind of working in a whole bunch of different things. I'm like teaching a few days a week. I'm I'm playing in a few bands, including um, Black Jesus Experience, Trick Dog, Trick Dog Syndicate, <laughs>
0: Trick Dog um, Experience. <laughs> Sometimes
1: it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's a definite experience, and um, Mm. and I also play a lot of um, amateur and semi-professional theatre, dip my toes in the professional world a little bit, um, and, yeah, teaching, playing drums, and
0: general badassery.
1: General, yeah. I watch. Yeah, I watch gigs. (laughs) I go to gigs. I play gigs. That's. (laughs) That's kind of what happens most of the time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Also, it's really funny to, like, feel you switch on, like, go from being <laughs> like, to like I am talking about myself. I have to represent myself in a professional and respectable manner. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's that's difficult as well because is, it's not something that you have like that I have to do a lot. Yeah. It's well yet at least it's not something that I have to do a lot yet. So, yeah. it's. It's something that I, f- I feel takes a little bit of work, and it's something that a lot of people, like myself included, like I kind of see it as this sort of veneer. Like as, as I've gotten a little bit older and seen more people in different situations, especially like professional musicians going like working in professional situations and that kind of thing. There there nearly is, and it nearly is a switch because like hanging out with people Mm -hmm. outside of Mm. a different – like outside of a professional situation and then you walk into the professional situation and they switch on straight away. And it's nearly – it's not like they're faking anything. Yeah. Like it's still the same person all that kind of thing. But there is definitely – and I feel there has to be as well a little bit of a divide in between you know goofing around and just hanging out Mm. versus when you step into a professional situation Mm. and it's sometimes it's a little bit for the like protection of yourself that you can kind of especially being a musician being such a like being such a personal representation of yourself yeah Trying, yeah, trying to separate that part so that you can think analytically about who you are professionally as a musician, but also without hurting yourself. Mm -hmm. Like on the, because on the, on the surface, like you were saying, you need to, you need to present like a united front. It's nearly like a political campaign. Like you, you need to present this thing that's like glossy and shiny and like hardcover book whereas like every everything else has to nearly step away from that so that you can first of all think like think about your professional self and your personal self in separate things because if you if you work in a corporate job
0: Mm.
1: you're not lucky because obviously that's a it's an entirely different thing Mm. but you get to put the suit on in the, it's nearly like kind of Clark Kent and Superman. Like mm. you get to put the suit on in the morning, you go to work, you do work and then you get to leave and you can be whoever you want to be. You get to do whatever you want to do. Mm. Whereas when you're a musician, it's more of a holistic thing because like you have to do a lot of different things to survive as a musician now. So there's like always a lot of irons in the fire and it can be a little bit harder to keep those away from who you are as a person. Like, trying to keep that professional thing in, like, on the outside and try and not let it permeate your, like, little sphere of, like, who you are when you're hanging out with your friends.
0: Yeah, I guess those Those boundaries are are better defined in other career paths.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a significantly shorter (laughs) shorter and more eloquent way to put five minutes of rambling
0: yeah but i liked all the analogies to be honest like the irons in the fire and the glossy book and a bunch of others
1: big on big on analogies i love them yeah Yeah. they're
0: good they're real good (laughs) yeah anyway tell me a bit about your approach to music just in general in terms of your playing not in terms of listening
1: in in the the sense of the way that i approach music is a player mm-hmm. as a performer um I kind of don't know yet
0: <laughs> okay
1: like like <laughs> like I've, I've got a reasonable idea but I was thinking about this the other night I, I went to a gig at the Jazz Lab on Tuesday night and um it was um Frank Desario Sam Kiva's um, this singer Josh, but I went to watch Floydie, like Tony was playing and he's yeah, which was awesome. I haven't seen Tony play a gig in a, in a while, mm-hmm. but, and I, and I was thinking after the gig, like on the way home, thinking about some of my favorite musicians in Melbourne and thinking that they've all really got their own personality. Like Tony's got a personality like Danny like I'll talk about drummers, like Danny Ferugia's got his own personality, Dave Beck, like all all those players all really have, when you see them on the jazz gig at least, you know, they're also chameleons and can do whatever and like really serve the music. But when you see them on a jazz gig, they're really different people to watch play. And that's the thing that I don't think that I've quite got it out yet I, I I feel that maybe someone else would be able to tell me more about my musical personality than I have worked out at the moment hmm. but but the way that I approach music from like uh, like a, a perspective of like not necessarily a musical personality from a more broad broad sense the um I I think that the way I approach music is very holistic. Like, I, I sort of approach music like I live it, I breathe it, I ever like nearly everything I do revolves around music in some sense. Like, you know, whether I was, you know, having a shower half an hour ago, listening to a record, and then, you know, I was practicing, and then you know, later, like I'm playing a gig tonight and then I'll go to a gig after that and then mm. like every like everything I do. So which is kind of why why I brought up the trying to keep that separation because because it is so all encompassing in my life, um, it's very much just who I am as a person, it is music. Mm-hmm. Like I Yeah, I'm always listening to music, always thinking about music, always thinking about like how I can be better at music, always thinking about, you know, people that I'd like to play with, um, gigs that I'd like to work towards having in the future and that kind of thing. I, um, yeah, I have certainly over time found it very difficult to have that separation because I, I nearly, like I nearly take it personally when I can't do a gig. Like, or if I can't do something or if I'm unavailable for whatever reason, like that's, and that's kind of where I struggle. Like, because I am very, very bad at that. I'm very, like, I'm very bad at saying, oh, I'm like, I'm busy. Even like, you know, even if you just want to take a night off and just say, oh, I feel that that's something I'm improving at, but it's something that over the time I've definitely lost where that line is in between, like me as a person and me as a musician, and sometimes that line has to be more clearly defined because the way I approach music is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like it's every it's everything that I do, everything that I think about has, in in some sense, has something to do with music. Mm.
0: Um, I have a couple of things yeah. from that that I want to touch on. Yeah, definitely. Firstly, I think it's so interesting that you don't have, that you don't think that you have a distinctive personality when it comes to playing like the Danny Farouches and blah, blah, blah. Because I think you so do. Like, I think as soon as you're behind a drum kit, you have such a personality that comes through.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's something that I, like, which is, which is kind of what I, I mentioned as well, that I, I feel at this point. Definitely probably won't be the case in the future, but at this point, I haven't quite worked out what my personality is yet so like what like what I was saying is that someone else would be able to tell me mm, yeah. i like i I wouldn't be able to, but yeah. once I' figured it out that'll be awesome like mm. that's kind of that's what i I strive for is that one day I will know <laughs> like i like i've been I've been giving a lot of thought to And I've been doing a little bit of writing and that kind of thing, but I'd love to release an album or an EP or something as a leader one day. Mm. But then it was like crushing in the best way because I was like, but what, what would I, what music would it be? Like, Mm. what would it be this? Would it be this? Would it be this? And then I was like, whoa, I haven't got that figured out enough yet. That's like shelve that for (laughs) 10 years in the future (laughs) or something, because Mm. I was like, I could do like, a Latin jazz record or I could do like a funk record or I could do like a soul record or I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. And I ended Mm. up just, I ended up with like a list of potential stylistic and like, I suppose personality would creep into this as well, but
0: Mm.
1: a a list of styles that I would love to cover at the moment if I was to do it now.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know, I don't think Miles was that prolific. Like I I had a record. in every style and I had it fully thought out. I knew who was going to play on the records and Mm, everything. Wow. And there was like 15 or something. I was like, all right, we'll hold that.
0: You're going to need money for that. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, yeah, Grant's come out next month. eh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they do. No, but that's, yeah. So that's something that was actually like a very clear cut example of I was trying to not pigeonhole myself, but trying to figure out what I would like to say hmm. if I was to say something under my own name as a musician. Interesting. And I couldn't. It just it was overwhelming. Like I just kept thinking of things.
0: I guess, but you can do all those things. Yeah. Not all at once. Yeah,
1: not yeah, exactly, not yeah. all at once. I yeah. suppose that's the that's the lesson. Yeah. But, but I yeah, I definitely think that I, I probably do have a very distinctive musical personality. That one day, (laughs) that one day I will be able to put into terms. Mm,
0: Yes. Mm. Um, But yeah, just on the note of like releasing heaps of albums, like King Gears have like five coming out this year, (laughs) four, five. They're
1: crazy. I saw them play at Glastonbury and it was just like, you know, uh, Chris from Black Jesus and I, we went and watched them together with Louise, his partner, and we were kind of, you know, wandering across the vast expanse of this festival that is just so big yeah that we're like, we're walking towards the tent and we're just like oh these guys are like in it's like what is it like thornbury or northcote or something yeah i've never seen them in melbourne yeah never and here we are on the other side of the world watching them play for the first time and it was mind-blowing like they were, yeah. they were incredible they were yeah. great and Prolific Cause I think That was in June And they've like Released two albums, <laughs> <these> albums. <laughs> Yeah
0: they And they'd already Released yeah.
1: They'd already Released like one two. this year Or yeah. one or two
0: And
1: Yeah Yeah <laughs> It's hard to keep up with Like I think the last album I properly listened to Was the Microtonal Banana Oh yeah Which also Hands down The best album title Of <laughs> 2017 Definitely
0: Okay I'll have to yep, Flying
1: Microtonal Banana <laughs>
0: great uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah but I mean I know Stu from Kingkis has his own like studio setup. yeah yeah, yeah I so, think
1: they're, they're yeah. pretty well and they spend so much time on the road that yeah like um like we kind of got to see the two of bus a little bit and they're like kind of riding all the oh, time cool. when when they're on the road in Europe as well and I suppose this is what would happen with so many musicians I was actually talking to I think I was I can't remember who I was talking to about this the other mm. day but like in the in the name of prolific musicians and that kind of thing like a Snarky Puppy tour the world so much and I've only I've only gained a brief small insight into this but like for example when we went to Ethiopia last month we had eight hours at Changi mm. that's that's outside of flights you know yeah. if if you were doing that all the time, you would, you would, you know, we were sick of it after doing it one time, eight hours was such a long amount of time that, Mm. um, they would just, you know, MIDI keyboard logic go. Mm. And, and I suppose that's how, when you have so much dead time, you get that prolific. And of course, you know, if they're playing a gig every night, they can, like, workshop new stuff. And then, yeah, if Stu's got his own studio yeah. set up, um, you know, they get home and they go, oh, cool, here's those 12 ideas that we wrote in Europe last week. Yeah. Let's record an album.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. yeah, like, that, that would definitely that – that's kind of how I would see something like that eventuating. Mm. Just, yeah, when you have so much time in transit and you're just kind of waiting – if you, if you can use that time productively, True. Then that's, that's how you would, you would get so prolific. I, I would imagine at least.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and also you talked about living and breathing music. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's a huge part of your identity, but yeah. I also feel like that sounds like a bit of a burden.
1: Oh uh, yeah, it can be, it definitely, it can be. Which is, yeah, which is something that, um, I know, I know not everybody that we studied with yeah. had the, um, like a, not, not a burden because it, it's like, it's definitely a conscious choice and that kind of, of course, thing. Yeah. But I, um, like that I, I like moved three hours away from my family mm. to do this. So that's kind of, it nearly, it nearly became... To just get really deep, really quickly <laughs> on this topic. Um, Go on. Yeah. Like it kind of became something that it nearly became an excuse for me because I thought to myself when I came down here, like, well, it started off this way and I've rationalized it in a much more healthy way these days. But the first couple of years when I moved down here, I would nearly have this anxiety of, well, fuck, I'm all the way down here. I'm doing this. And not trying to prove anything to anybody else except for myself, really. But I was like, I'd made that bold decision of like moving down here, studying music. And I was like, well, now I have to justify it. Like now I have to, and as, as I was saying, not to anyone else, just to, just to myself. I had to really like, I had to get busy real quick because otherwise, you know, you end up with a lot of time and then then if like if I ended up with too much time you know I'd I'd kind of stop being productive with that time and I'd just sort of be like oh I, why why am I down here why am I doing this if I'm not working as hard as I could be and yeah and that that's certainly something that you know because music was like reasonably all-encompassing for me in high school but while I was in high school I was like still playing football. I was still like obviously living at home with my parents and like I've got two younger brothers and sisters. So like there was always a lot of other things happening. Whereas when I moved to Melbourne, it was nearly like this um, stepping into a vacuum and it was just me. Uh, And like obviously friends and that kind of thing, but it was just me and the reason I had came here. Reason i come here <laughs> oh god I, no, I hope my listening. I hope my year 12 English teacher isn't listening to this before. um yeah so that that kind of became a, a thing in the first couple of years that I lived down here that to ju- like to justify it in and I, I was like I was completely happy with the justification like I really enjoyed being busy I enjoy working a lot I enjoyed playing a lot I enjoyed all of that kind of stuff but it sort of yeah, I, I realized after a couple of years that it was kind of a form of escapism. Mm. That it was kind of this like, all right, cool. I just have to be really busy and not think about other things because th- that's not what I'm here for. That's like, I'm, you know, I kind of was, was probably in hindsight, reasonably hard on myself with how much I wanted to work with all, with yeah, like if, I, like if I had a night off, I would kind of be at home being like, cool, I should be playing a gig. or Whereas mm-hmm. like now I've become comfortable. I had a, a, a patch a couple of months ago where I had like I think three weeks without a gig and it was cool. Like I got to hang out with some friends, went out for like dinner and drinks with some friends and like you know, got to sp- spend time doing things outside of music, which is something that – a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have been comfortable with it at all. That would have felt like dead space to me or like dead weight. And, um, yeah, it was something that then also when I was in the first couple of years of uni, if I didn't have gigs, I would go home and work, like um, go home to my parents' house.
0: Oh, and yeah. Like,
1: and I'd go and work on the farm with my dad. Yeah. And um, which was awesome and it got me through the first couple of years of uni, but it was... Um, definitely not what I wanted to be doing with my time. So that's when every time I'd go home and I'd come back to Melbourne a little bit hungrier because I'd be like, cool, I really don't want to have to do that next holidays. And then, you know, I'd go and do it again, but it would maybe be for a couple of weeks shorter or or whatever. And then I'd come back and be like, right, yeah, I've got to work harder this semester so that I... um." So that eventually I don't have to do that, and like I was I was able to sort of figure that out after a couple of years, but it was um yeah there's just all these kind of intrinsic and extrinsic motivating factors behind why I wanted to work so hard yeah. and you know it's and then yeah I kind of let that be who I was for a couple of years before you know I kind of finished uni and had the existential crisis that I'm sure many people have when I'm ready for this yeah (laughs) yeah well well, because when I when I finished uni it was great because you know like uni uni was awesome and I had a really good time studying and it was fantastic it was everything I wanted it to be I'd wanted to study at Box Hill since I was 12 like I'd, I'd spent like 6 or 7 years waiting to do this. But then by the time I got to the end, I was super happy and I was like great, let's do this. And then in February everyone went back to uni. Mm. And I and I was at home. and um, like not even just my housemates, but I just saw everybody like on on Facebook or like I'd talk to people and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, starting back at uni next week or whatever and I was just kind of, you know, I was teaching a couple of days and then I was playing some gigs and I just sort of had that, gnaw, that gnawing feeling of Oh okay. I don't I don't have sort of not the excuse, but I don't have the uni degree now. That like, you know, when I talk to people, hey, what are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm I'm studying, um, this, that it was just that's it. It's like, okay, that's finished. Now I've gotta move on to actually doing this like I you know I I don't have to go to arranging at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning you know I've just got to be again working like I've I've just got to be like playing gigs or practicing or all of that kind of stuff so yeah it was definitely a um an interesting an interesting period for the maybe it was the first two or three weeks after everyone went back to uni the next year that yeah, that definitely made me think again, you know. Like, is this what I want to be doing? Now, uh, When it became a career choice instead of a uni degree, when it mm. became actually a real world thing that was like, cool, it's me versus, and not in a competitive sense, but it's like me versus the world of, of music. Yeah. Like, and I've kind of got to find my little thing and get in a, on the ground floor now and work on building a career and building on playing with people, playing with different people, getting to network and mm. and meet people outside of outside of uni because that was all sorta of hand, handmade for you at uni. It was yeah. you um like you would be walking around all the time. There'd be people there. Whereas now I was, you know, I wasn't practicing in one eleven. I was practicing yeah. in my bedroom and, you know, people weren't walking past. Like I wouldn't, you know, just see someone and we'd stop and chat and be like, Oh cool. We should play together next week. You know, it, it became a thing that you had to consciously do that. And you had to wish again, was my first time living in Melbourne outside of having that crutch. So it, it, became a little bit of a a thing for a couple of weeks where I was like, oh wow, this is this is much harder than it was at uni. Am I sure I want to be doing this? Which I obviously
0: Are you sure? Yeah.
1: <laughs> very. Very <laughs> yeah. and that and but I think I think that's the um that's the important thing as well is that to to speak incredibly vaguely and broadly, that <laughs> a lot of people are a a little bit scared of that challenge. That it's hard. Like it's there is it's such a, for it to be such a personal art form and it's, I suppose it would be like being an actor and like never getting cast because you're too short or yeah. you're whatever. It's, you know, it's a, it's a very personal thing for you to build your career off of your, um, you know, how it nearly comes down to sometimes to just how much you want it or how much you can't live without it that um yeah but I I was very lucky very lucky to go through that little bit of a struggle and it wasn't too much of a struggle but just that kind of internal battle that when I got to the end of it it was like having a sword in the fire that I kind of got out and I was like well no I do really I do really want to do this and you kind of need that conviction at least in which is what we talk about the when we were talking about the, the creme brulee of life earlier, that, um, you need, like you need that, you need that crystallized sugar on top. You need another
0: you, analogy, another analogy, yeah. but,
1: but you need, you need that conviction at, at least outwardly.
0: Yeah.
1: It, like, because in inside, um, is the, you've got the creme, <laughs> yeah, you've, got, you've got the sweet gooey creme, but yeah. it's, um, yeah, but on the, like on the inside, even if it's below that sort of facade, you, you've, always, you've always got doubts about everything that you do. Like, like I was mentioning earlier, like every, every gig that I take, I'm like, oh, was that the right gig to take? Is that going to be putting me with the right people, putting me on the direction that I want to go? And I suppose to reference earlier as well, that like once I work out exactly what I want to do, that might become easier. Like that might become more clean and defined and I might just go, cool, I, I need to take this gig uh, because I'll be playing with X, Y, and Z or we're playing this kind of music. Not going to take that gig because that doesn't serve who I am as a musician and where I want to go. But it's becoming more clear cut as I get more experience, that kind of thing. But the the sort of to it yeah, the toing and froing of oh is this the right decision to make or because it's all me like it's at the end at the end of the day no like I don't have a manager or anything like no one's booking the gigs for me it's yeah. me um and sometimes sometimes that burden of responsibility of choosing your own adventure mm. is a little bit intimidating
0: <laughs> which is so funny because so many children enjoy that yeah Yeah Anyway So that was a lot That was really dense There's a lot of things I could talk about mm. But
1: I tend, I tend mm. to do that sometimes
0: Yeah I think it's really interesting Though that you have This perspective Also just quickly Before I launch into that Are you the eldest child? Yes Yeah Okay So you are like The stereotypical Eldest child, by the way. Like I think if I like Googled like eldest child syndrome, you'd have it.
1: That would that would just be one hundred percent me.
0: Yeah. Um, just because you talked about all these external pressures that so many other people in our course didn't feel. So I don't know. You have all these external pressures, but you feel them internally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which. Yeah. Which is kind of why. I like. I'm still working on building that little bubble. Yeah. of of keeping those pressures external and not letting them affect me as a person like yeah. there's yeah it's also like can happen musically as well like certain gigs that I've been on that you know i i'm I'm fairly good at at taking feedback and critique and that kind of thing because i i've come like i try and consciously realize that they're not telling me as a person; <laughs> they're telling yeah. the professional me, yeah. the the drummer me. Yeah. You know, they're not telling me that we're hanging out, having a beer before the gig. They're telling me after the gig. Oh, by the way, on that tune, uh, something was a little bit weird, mm. or something like. But they're telling, yeah, the prof- were, they're, they're yeah. telling the the outside me. So yeah. I I really had to spend a lot of nights on the phone to my mum talking <laughs> about how I shouldn't let that affect me as a person i should just let that be you know if i was a business person that's on my desk on monday morning yeah that like i can't internalize it yeah because otherwise you know that's when people end up with some pretty pretty heavy hang-ups i think is when too much of it becomes internal
0: yes but I think the reason why those external... I don't know, that external feedback could affect yeah. you is because I feel like you have an extremely harsh inner critic and you put a lot of pressure on yourself. So it's just like <laughs> adding to the load. But oh, yeah. But obviously nothing anyone else can say will affect you more than what you think yourself. Yes. Surely. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's obvious, like, knowing you, that you really judge yourself quite harshly.
1: Yeah, th- and that, that kind of... Like when you say about adding to the load of it is that they would say, like I say they, it's it's such a, (laughs) so so fucking horribly vague. (laughs) And insert person on a gig or whatever. Yeah. Like let's, let's just say, you know, play a gig. One of the tunes I kind of like blow out the end of it or something. cool Like you need to learn that part of the tune better, whatever. Then that sort of feeds my inner critic that then would go, why didn't you know that? Why, like, why didn't you know that, Chin? That was the gig. I mean, you you didn't learn it or you didn't know it or you forgot it or whatever. But then that would just kind of, like, my inner critic, who's sitting next to me, by the way, um, (laughs) (laughs) would, would sort of know exactly what they were talking about but would think of it in a lot. Harsher and more direct terms Basically Yeah but They might say something Completely vague And they'd be like Like my inner critic would go You know that means that like You totally screwed the whole thing up And it's Yeah I, and, that, and Yeah So it Kind of Does And it, again I'm getting better at Separating it Yeah But in, in years gone by That would definitely Just kind of go Alright Straight from The like straight from the person that said whatever they said, straight to my inner critic that would like turn it up by five, and then I and then I would have to deal with it. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. I I don't think it's perfectionism. I don't see myself as a perfectionist. No,
0: that's what you'd be diagnosed with. Yeah. Really. Just so you know, yeah. Okay. I've been diagnosed with it too. But yeah, you meet all the requirements.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you make the cut. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um. But it's, yeah. I I don't see I don't see myself as a per- perfectionism as a perfectionist as much as I do. Just like I just don't want to screw it up. Yeah. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is which is probably feeding right into yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. That's exactly
0: what people like us say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, because not everything that I do is perfect. So, no, of course not. Um most things i do aren't perfect in fact but um
0: no they definitely don't meet your standards yes yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: as a perfectionist yeah um yeah but that's uh yeah that's something that yeah that the inner critic and i think the inner critic is that with a lot of musicians like it's a it's a burden with a lot of a lot of people that yeah. you know whether it be classical and they're trying to learn oh, totally. a, a concerto yeah. and oh, i just can't get the the, the like, last eight bars or something, and then they hone in on those eight bars. They don't hone in on the f- 25 minutes of music that they've played flawlessly before them mm. They hone in on those eight bars. Yeah. And I think that that's definitely something that um then would spill into the jazz world of, oh, cool, I... Like, man, why can I really burn on autumn leaves but, you know, you give me, like... I don't know, Cherokee, and I just choke up and I, I can't mm. play over the B section. Mm. And then, so instead of focusing on, man, I'm trying to play this tune at 300 and I can I can really nail the the A's, but the B section sucks. So they focus on the B mm. instead of, which, which is also can be constructive if you know how to do it in the right way, because yeah. work, you've always got to be defining and working on your weaknesses in order That's to... Awesome. To get anywhere, but you've got to, again, work on it from this professional exterior of not, you know, like it's not you personally, it's you as a musician that can't play the B section. So cool. (laughs) So cool. When I, when I hit the practice room tomorrow, I'll just work on the B section, but for now I'm just going to chill out and, you know, not give myself a coronary over it.
0: Yeah. 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 That's a good approach. I really think that like I don't know, you're rehabilitating your mentality.
1: It's a it's a long process, but yeah. I think the, the biggest thing as well is real is kind of realizing that you're doing it.
0: Yeah.
1: Because For sure. you don't most of the time. Yeah. Because you just everyone's in their own little bubble of who they are as a person internally and you've just got to realize that um, if, like, if you are doing something like that then you've, you've really just got to be constantly seeking like outside advice from other people because then they can go, oh, cool. You're really being too hard on yourself about that. And even it, it takes a lot of times to be told that to, to realize that that's what you're doing. But eventually one day you're going to go, oh, shit, I am being too hard on myself about that. Oh, I just need to chill out about that. That's okay. That'll happen. Mm. Like, and like kind of trust in the process. But like, I think the, the, probably the worst example that I can think of it is the people that are really hard on themselves, but then they don't put the work in. Yeah. Like that's, that's just a basket case waiting to happen. Yes. Is that, yeah, if you're, if you're really hard on yourself, you've got to match that. You've nearly like got to be able to hold that up by being able to put in the amount of work that you yourself are happy with.
0: Yes. And unfortunately part of perfectionism is that, that it can actually be like paralyzing yeah so if you do put too much pressure in yourself then you don't do the work you don't
1: do the work because you're yeah. like oh it's not going to be perfect there's no it's yeah, yeah it's kind of like um like I was on this recording session last week and in the past and I know because I still feel it there but I'm able to go nah get lost like mm. but we were on this session and we recorded this tune and I could hear there was one part but I just wasn't quite a hundred percent on. And I was like, Oh, that's like, Oh, is that dragging a little bit? Oh, is that, uh, uh, and I kind of sat there and then I was like, that doesn't really matter. Like you listen to the seven minutes of music. Like you can't really tell it's like on this, on a recording that, um, hasn't been released. I really hope it does one day because I'm still really proud of the last recording that up, up away did it as did as a band. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a drum fill in the middle of the tune. And it's three notes. And I rushed the second one.
0: This is psychotic, by the way. No, no, no. No, but
1: this is this is just showing my rehabilitated mentality. Yeah. Is that I sweated and fretted and just blew out about that. But now I listen to it and I can't actually hear it. Okay. Like I can't hear it where it is. But at the time, because it was so personal, we were in the room, we were recording with some musicians, like the guys from Cactus Channel that I really, really respected. And that kind of thing that I was kind of sitting there going, oh man, like I I blew that film, but I'm, I'm sure no one else in the room knew what I was talking about, but, and now I'm, I'm the same. I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, so it's a little bit rushed, but you know. It doesn't, it doesn't affect the tune. We recorded it without a click. Like it was, you know, what are you going to do? And and it was, um, and it was vibey. Like the whole tunes was really vibey and the, um, that fill really didn't take, it was nearly like this, um, sense of like, um, the overly inflated sense of grandeur that I'm like, that drum fill is the most important part of the tune and it has to be 100% right. It has to be absolutely perfect or the whole tunes throw it in the bin, but mm. it's not, and it's not that important. Mm. And I think I've, I've come to realize that afterwards, after, like, cause that's been a couple of, a couple of years now, I think since, since we recorded that tune or like a year and a half or something. And that's sort of, that's a, a very crystallized example of where I can pinpoint that I think about things differently now. Mm-hmm. And I don't, don't kill myself over, like, the tiniest little imperfections because at the end of the day, that might be what my musical personality is. Like, the musical yeah. personality of drummers isn't, you know, in in a, in a world where our art form is being replaced by computers and that kind of thing.
0: Robot drummers.
1: Robot drummers. You've kind of... Jojo Mayer um, talks about like fighting back against that and reinstalling the human element. And obviously that guy is a machine. Yeah, so like was, it's yeah. it's kind of, it's hard. Well, it was hard for me to see what he was talking about when I thought that he was so incredibly, like he's just an absolute beast that he was so close to perfection. But then he wanted to like consciously... Mm. play like a human because especially playing like drum and bass and that kind of thing man you're never going to be able to play as fast as a drum machine you're never going to be able to and you're not going to be able to do it for three hours at a rave or whatever you're not going to be able to you just can't so not don't bother but realise that what you have to offer is something different to what the machine has to offer absolutely so that's sort of where I've come around and now listening to some of my favourite drummers I can hear oh cool like like there was this record I was listening to the other day. I'm like, Oh, she always rushes that part or, or like when it's something like that. And or like he always sort of mishits this symbol in this section.
0: Mm.
1: Like, but that's, that's kind of cool. That's part of the vibe. It's part of the humanity of, of playing being a real person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Being a bag of flesh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, there was a really funny, um, I think it was for ASIO, the Barney McCall thing that was um that that really funny picture of a reptilian Mark Zuckerberg that was like, I steal your data so <laughs> I know how it feels to be human.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Something um, along the lines of that.
0: Okay, so moving on to anxiety, what part of your life, like is it is your anxiety related to music or is it related to other parts of your life?
1: Um
0: because I know that you've... Like, I've witnessed you experience social anxiety.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think it's um definitely got to do with music more. Yeah. But sometimes it's actually really funny. I get anxious sometimes about... And again, in the past, like, I'm a, a little bit reformed on this and I'm getting better at it all the time. Yeah. That um sometimes I would let the music of things it like inf- influence the rest of my life and I would get, but I would get anxious about that influence mm-hmm. of, you know, if there was six weeks where I was just booked solidly, I'm like, Oh, cool. But I'm going to miss out on watching my little brother and sister grow up. And then that would, but that would then become an anxious thing that I nearly wouldn't enjoy some of the gigs. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I, I shouldn't have taken this gig. And, instead of just being like, you know, water under the bridge, it is what it is. Mm. I'll, um, like I would, I would really take that personally. And yeah, it's still something that I'm getting better at all the time. Like I had a family thing a couple of, or well, a couple of weeks ago, or last week. In fact, that, um, like I had a gig that night and it still took me talking to my mum about it to realize which was more important in the situation. Like, Cause the thing was during the day and I had a gig at the night, but at the end of the day, everyone was like my entire family was together for the first time in a couple of years. Mm. And it, it took that it's still, and it's sometimes it still does take that little bit of an outside influence for me to gain strength in myself, to be able to prioritize what's important because sometimes in, in the past, that really plays into my anxiety of like I would be at a gig, or the or the opposite, and I would be somewhere else, and I'd just be anxious about the other one that was happening without me.
0: Yeah.
1: Like so. Yeah. Whether that's like a just overinflated sense of fear of missing out, or mm. whether it's anxiety, or mm. like however you would would pinpoint that it's that's sort of how it would affect me personally Mm -hmm. is that I would and I think that's because I was always very conscious of the fact that I moved so far away yeah that then you know it, it was nearly like um like I would I would think about it the way that it, it was when I left, like when I left, I'm one of the eldest in my extended family and everything was still very much, everyone was still in high school or primary school. Everyone was still together. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, and I was applying that ideal to the current situation. Whereas in the current situation, you know, one of my cousins lives in Caratha. my brother's been living in Darwin. Mm. Um, the the situation's very different, but I kind of wouldn't for for ang- like for anxiety or whatever I wouldn't let go of how I was already thinking about it, and then and and then I would be really hard on myself again in that situation where I'm like, well, fuck, I've made the wrong decision here. Instead of being like, oh, I've made the wrong decision, like I, you know, I should. I should have thought about this and this before I made that decision. Instead, I just kind of rushed into what I was doing Ah, next time. Instead of doing that, I would use that to kind of then, instead of being able to really be where I was, I'd be like thinking about other things at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of – that's sort of how it would spill into – Life outside of music, but like life inside music, it's yeah, it's just I suppose the perfectionism that we were talking about earlier is the main source <laughs> for for the anxiety.
0: Yes. Like, do you know much about the enneagram? I always jump around. Sorry. The what? The enneagram.
1: No. Okay. I can't say so I do.
0: Personality types. I'm trying to figure out if you're like more one. Three, oh, you, five. Were
1: to- you were talking about this yeah. The other day. So Yeah. So type
0: ones are perfectionists, and yeah. I mean, you meet all the requirements. Don't even worry about it. Um, I those, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Threes are people who aspire to be successful and they're really concerned about being unsuccessful. Like that's their greatest fear of like living a life where they haven't achieved anything. Mm. And then fives are people who are like constantly in their heads, like overseeing everything, thinking about everything, taking it all in. And I feel like you have elements of all three.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. Probably. I think you're probably still a type one though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Predominantly. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting, an interesting thing that I read um, about, com, like about the perfectionism thing, and it's kind of helped curb my perfectionism somewhat. That okay. um, because, like we were saying earlier, it can be debilitating. You know, if you if everything has to be perfect, well then you'll never do anything yep. because there's no. You know, I'm sure people don't listen to records that they recorded. Like oh, like I don't know people in their 50s or 60s now don't look back 30 years ago and go, man, that that recording is incredible. It's the best thing I've ever done. They're always looking back and being like, oh, oh I really should have... Oh, why hadn't I started checking this out? Or why why didn't I do that?
0: Mm.
1: Oh, well, I'll do it now.
0: Yeah.
1: In, but if they had have had that mindset beforehand that they're like, okay, I'm 24 and I'm a musician this has to be the best thing I've ever done. Well, then you're, you're never going to hit record. Like they mm. never, because, but also like how boring would that be? Because then you don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. Like you're, you're already at the destination mm. that, um, but yeah, I suppose in a, yeah, sometimes you have to like consciously try and curb that perfectionism so that you can actually just get stuff done. Yeah. And, put stuff out into the world like it doesn't have to be perfect you just have to do it yes you just have to create or you have to you know try and get somewhere i was i was reading this book um it's i finished it a couple weeks ago it's it's probably still my favorite title for a book it's called the subtle art of not giving a fuck
0: oh yes yes
1: Yes. there's this there's a uh a story about Dave Mustaine in it, which kind of caught me off guard. Have you read the? Have you read the book? No, I haven't. No. Well, there's this story about Dave Mustaine, about how he got kicked out of Metallica, and all all that kind of thing that happened. Um, but then, how he was still in, in interviews and that kind of thing. He was still dreadfully unhappy. He went on, to, you know, create Megadeth, <laughs> sold 45 million records, toured all over the world but whenever it wouldn't be a stadium tour he would have this kind of depression because like oh man still not as successful as metallica Mm. dude you fucking sold 45 million records yeah and you're touring the world you're one of the most respected pioneers of metal like broadly in the world like i mean there's the metallica versus megadeth thing but you know (laughs) i i I don't i don't buy into that kind of stuff but it's um like, he's wildly successful, but because he still compares himself to James Hetfield, mm. you know, he's never going to get there because yeah. Metallica are, like, nearly an enigma. Like, you, you mm. can't do that. Yeah. And because he has regrets and hang-ups about the circumstances that led to him being kicked out of the band, um, you know, he'll... Never be happy with not being as good as Metallica And that's sort of I feel that that's a sense of perfectionism Is that like Mm -hmm. If you never Like for example If drummers never played a jazz gig Because oh I'm never going to be Tony Williams Or you know They never Never tried to play Fusion Because they're like I'll never be Dave Weckle. Like well then Then like No music would have been created In the last 40 years
0: Yeah. And I think you're a pretty good working example of someone who does have those thoughts, like those perfectionistic thoughts, but then still manages to get work done.
1: Yeah. That's most most of the time. Most of, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. you've
0: done a lot. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even. I don't have time, unfortunately, now. But like, we didn't even dip into like you touring. Yeah. Well, no, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's it's kind of something as well that is a is a con- constant thought in my mind, which I th- I think ties into being overall a more mentally healthy musician as well is I would always talk, or I would always talk. My mum would always tell me when I was younger, I had a a music teacher. Sorry. I'm slowly, I'm slowly (laughs) slowly going further and further back in this story, but I had this music teacher when I was younger, um, that was very into themselves and very always, you know, and I'm in, indebted to this person, but they, cause they gave me my passion for music and my love for music, which has gotten me this far already that the, the thing was though, is that they were so into themselves and kind of introverted that, you know, it would be one of those things that you'd be talking to them and then all of a sudden, Oh, and then this, we are in this gig one night, we we're doing this and it's like, Man, we would talk about my daughter's second birthday, and like they would kind of, they would always take things their direction and talk about music. So the one thing that my mum always said to me is that you have to have, like, if and this was before I moved to Melbourne, like in the twelve months before we would talk about this a lot. So like, when you move to Melbourne, you still have to be interested in what other people are doing. You still have to, even if you even if you couldn't care about it you still have to have the ability to talk to other people about other things outside of music otherwise you'll become like this person mm. and and i think that's the thing that has actually helped me a lot is you know i've i've got a couple of friends that like we go to the footy or we talk about other things like we like have try and maintain some other interests that you know that you can still relate to people that aren't musicians because mm. You know, I I could talk for hours about, like, the tone of my snare drum, but 99.99999% of people aren't going to care about that.
0: Mm. I'm in that 99.99%.
1: Sometimes I am. (laughs) Yeah. But it's – so it's something that you've really got to be – and I am always trying to be as broad of a person as I can because, you know, if I spent all my time – concerned neurotically about how my snare drum sounds then first of all I'm not going to have any friends <laughs> and then second of all you're gonna get so caught up in that one tiny little bit of effectively insignificance that you're gonna miss the big picture mm. like if you're when we were when we were in London after playing at Glastonbury this year we went to the National Gallery and there was this uh, there was this painting it was the execution of lady Jane gray and we'd been walking around this gallery for like four hours and this was the last painting that we saw and it was the one that had the biggest effect on me like it was incredible but i saw it from the other end of the room i saw it from about Mm -hmm. 50 meters away Mm -hmm. that um then i could take it all in and then as i got closer you see more detail and that kind of thing but if I had have stood right in front of it, I probably wouldn't have appreciated it. So, like being able to kind of take a step back and be able to see how it all sort of plays in into each other, and be able to see the big picture is sometimes more important than focusing on your snare drum sound or talking to people about just yeah just blue note miles records or you know you've got to have broad interests, and that also. Gives you a, a kind of a benefit because then you can talk to more people, and if you talk to more people, then you know studies show people that don't don't sit in their <laughs> bedrooms are, are happier than than people that only know how to talk about mm. certain things.
0: Getting like, more yeah. of that human element. Yeah, in, exactly. Yeah. yeah,
1: being human, not being yeah, not being so involved in your own thing that you forget to ask people how their day was.
0: I think that's a really good note to end on because I have to leave. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, like, you've said a lot of really insightful things and definitely, I mean, okay, the main focus was perfectionism because it obviously is, like, a big part of your brain at least, if not your life. Um, And, yeah, broad focus versus narrow focus is something to be mindful of. If you are a perfectionist, if you have perfectionistic tendencies...
1: Yeah, then you've kind of got to take a step back and... See other things yeah, and yeah, not be quite so neurotic. Yes. And you'll be happier for it.
0: Absolutely. Anyway, thanks Great. so much for being on. Thank you. Woo! So thanks again for tuning in this week to Glum Club. And I'll be back next Monday with another episode. I'm going to try and crank out a few other extra episodes just to get that extra chance of getting into the newer, noteworthy section on iTunes. Listening time is a massive help. So yet again, subscribe if you'd like to. Uh, re- chuck us a review if you'd like to. Or otherwise, just keep an ear out. And I hope you're excited for the next episode as much as I am. Thanks so much again. Bye. Maybe.